Chapter Seven of the Knight of the Long Knives by Fritz Leiber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven, the Last Chapter. Here now, in his triumph, where all things falter, stretched out on the spoils that his own hand spread, as a god self-slain on his own strange altar, death lies dead. A Forsaken Garden by Charles Swinburne. Pop was first down. Between us we helped Alice. Before joining them I took a last look at the control panel. The cracking plant button was up again, and there was a blue nimbus on another button. For Los Alamos, I supposed. I was tempted to push it and get away solo, but then I thought, nope, there's nothing for me at the other end, and the loneliness will be worse than what I got to face here. I climbed out. I didn't look at the body, although we were practically on top of it. I saw a little patch of silver off to one side, and remembered the gun that had melted. The vultures had waddled off only a few yards. We could kill them, Alice said to Pop. Why, he responded, didn't some Hindus use them to take care of dead bodies? Not a bad idea, either. Parsees, Alice amplified. Yep, Parsees, that's what I meant. Give you a nice clean skeleton in a matter of days. Pop was leading us past the body toward the cracking plant. I heard the flies buzzing loudly. I felt terrible. I wanted to be dead myself. Just walking along after Pop was an awful effort. His girl was running a hidden observation tower here, Pop was saying now. Weather and all that, I suppose. Or maybe setting up a robot station of some kind. I couldn't tell you about her before because you were both in a mood to try to rub out anybody remotely connected with the pilot. In fact, I did my best to lead you astray, letting you think I'd been the one to scream and all. Even now, to be honest about it, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing telling and showing you all this, but a man's got to take some risks, whatever he does. Say, Pop, I said dully, isn't she apt to take a shot at us or something? Not that I'd have minded on my own account. Or are you and her that good friends? Nope, Ray, he said. She doesn't even know me. But I don't think she's in a position to do any shooting. You'll see why. Hey, she hasn't even shut the door. That's bad. He seemed to be referring to a kind of manhole cover standing on its edge just inside the open-walled first story of the cracking plant. He knelt and looked down the hole the cover was designed to close off. Well, at least she didn't collapse at the bottom of the shaft, he said. Come on, let's see what happened. And he climbed into the shaft. We followed him like zombies. At least that's how I felt. The shaft was about twenty feet deep. There were foot and hand holes. It got stuffy right away and warmer, in spite of the shaft being open at the top. At the bottom there was a short horizontal passage. We had to duck to get through it. When we could straighten up, we were in a large, luxurious, bomb-resistant dugout, to give it a name, and it was stuffier and hotter than ever. There was a lot of scientific equipment around, and several small control panels, reminding me of the one in the back of the plane. Some of them, I supposed, connected with instruments, whether or otherwise, hidden up in the skeletal structure of the cracking plant. And there were signs of occupancy—a young woman's occupancy clothes scattered around in a frivolous way, and some small objects of art, 
and a slightly more than life-size head in clay that I guessed the occupant must have been sculpting. I didn't give that last more than the most fleeting look, strictly unintentional to begin with, because although it wasn't finished, I could tell whose head it was supposed to be, the pilot's. The whole place was finished in dull silver like the cabin of the plane, and likewise it instantly struck me as having a living personality, partly the pilot's and partly someone else's, the personality of a marriage, which wasn't a bit nice because the whole place smelt of death. But to tell the truth I didn't give the place more than the quickest look over because my attention was riveted almost at once on a large, wide couch with the covers kicked off it and on the body there. The woman was about six feet tall and built like a goddess. Her hair was blonde and her skin tanned. She was lying on her stomach, and she was naked. She didn't come anywhere near my libido, though. She looked sick to death. Her face, twisted towards us, was hollow-cheeked and flushed. Her eyes, closed, were sunken and dark-circled. She was breathing shallowly and rapidly through her open mouth, gasping now and then. I got the crazy impression that all the heat in the place was coming from her body, radiating from her fever. And the whole place stunk of death. Honestly, it seemed to me that this dugout was death's underground temple, the bed death's altar, and the woman death's sacrifice. Had I unconsciously come to worship death as a god in the deathlands? I don't really know. There it gets too deep for me. No, she didn't come within a million miles of my libido. But there was another part of me that she was eating at. If guilt's a luxury, then I'm a plutocrat. Eating at until I was an empty shell, until I had no props left, until I wanted to die then and there, until I figured I had to die. There was a faint, sharp hiss right at my elbow. I looked and found that, unbeknownst to myself, I'd taken the steel cube out of my pocket, and holding it snuggled between my first and second fingers, I'd punch the button with my thumb, just as I'd promised myself I would, if I got to be really feeling bad. It goes to show you that you should never give your mind any kind of instructions even half in fun unless you're prepared to have them carried out whether you approve later or not. Pop saw what I'd done and looked at me strangely. So you had to die after all, Ray, he said softly. Most of us find out we have to, one way or another. We waited. Nothing happened. I noticed a very faint milky cloud a few inches across, hanging in the air by the cube. Thinking right away of poison gas, I jerked away a little, dispersing the cloud. What's that? I demanded of no one in particular. I'd say, said Pop, that that's something that squirted out of a tiny hole in the side of the cube opposite the button. A hole so nearly microscopic you couldn't see it unless you look for it hard. Ray, I don't think you're going to get your baby A-blast. And what's more, I'm afraid you've wasted something that's damn valuable. But don't let it worry you. Before I drop those cubes for Alta High, I snagged one. And darn if he didn't pull the brother of my cube out of his pocket. Alice, he said, I noticed a half pint of whiskey in your satchel when we got the salve. Would you put some on a rag and hand it to me? Alice looked at him like he was nuts, 
but while her eyes were looking her pliers and her gloved hand were doing what he told her. Pop took the rag and swabbed a spot on the sick woman's nearest buttock, and jammed the cube against a spot and pushed the button. "'It's a jet hypodermic, folks,' he said. He took the cube away, and there was the welt to substantiate his statement. "'Hope we got to her in time,' he said. "'The plague is tough. Now I guess there's nothing for us to do but wait, maybe for quite a while.' I felt shaken beyond all recognition. "'Pop, you old caveman detective!' I burst out. "'When did you get that idea for a steel hospital? Don't think I was feeling anywhere near that gay. It was reaction, close to hysterical.' Pop was taken aback, but then he grinned. I had a couple of clues that you and Alice didn't, he said. I knew there was a very sick woman involved. And I had that bout with Los Alamos fever, I told you. They've had a lot of trouble with it, I believe. Some say its spores come from outside the world with the cosmic dust, and now it seems to have been carried to Alta High. Let's hope they've found the answer this time. Alice, maybe we'd better start getting some water into this gal. After a while we sat down and fitted the facts together more orderly. Pop did the fitting, mostly. Alamos researchers must have been working for years on the plague, as it ravaged intermittently, maybe with mutations and E.T. tricks to make the job harder. Very recently they found a promising treatment, cure we hoped, and prepared it for rush shipment to Alta High, where the plague was raging too, and they were sieged in by Savannah as well. Grail was picked to fly the serum or drug or whatever it was, but he knew or guessed that this lone woman observer, because she'd fallen out of radio communication or something, had come down with the plague too, and he decided to land some serum for her, probably without authorization. "'How do we know she's his girlfriend?' I asked. "'Or wife,' Pop said tolerantly. "'Why, there was that bag of woman stuff he was carrying.' for other things, like a man would bring for a woman. Who else he'd be apt to make a special stop for? Another thing, Pop said. He must have been using jets to hurry his trip. We heard them, you know. That seemed about as close a reconstruction of events as we could get. Strictly hypothetical, of course. Deathlanders trying to figure out what goes on inside a country like Alta Alamos, and why, or sort of like foxes trying to understand world politics, are wolves the Gothic migrations. Of course we're all human beings, but that doesn't mean as much as it sounds. Then Pop told us how he'd happened to be on the scene. He'd been doing a tour of duty, as he called it, when he spotted this woman's observatory and decided to hang around anonymously and watch over her for a few days, and maybe help protect her from some dangerous characters that he knew were in the neighborhood. Pop, that sounds like a lousy idea to me. I objected. Risky, I mean. Spying on another person, watching them without their knowing, would be the surest way to stir up in me the idea of murdering them. Safest thing for me to do in that situation would be to turn around and run. You probably should, he agreed. For now, anyway, it's all a matter of knowing your own strength and stage of growth. Me? It helps to give myself these little jobs and the essence of them is that the other person should know I'm helping. It sounded like knighthood and pilgrimage and the Boy Scouts all over again, for murderers. Well, why not? Pop had seen this woman come out of the manhole a couple of times and look around, and then go back down, 
and he'd got the impression she was sick and troubled. He'd even guessed she might be coming down with Alamos fever. He'd seen us arrive, of course, and that had bothered him. Then, when the plane landed, she'd come up again, acting out of her head, but when she'd seen the pilot and us going for him, she'd given that scream and collapsed at the top of the shaft. He'd figured the only thing he could do for her was to keep us occupied. Besides, now that he knew for sure we were murderers, he'd started to burn with the desire to talk to us and maybe help us quit killing, if we seemed to want to. It was only much later, in the middle of our trip, that he began to suspect that the steel cubes were jet hypodermics. While Pop was telling us all this, we hadn't been watching the woman so closely. Now Alice called our attention to her. Her skin was covered with fine beads of perspiration, like diamonds. That's a good sign, Pop said, and Alice started to wipe her off. While she was doing that, the woman came to in a groggy sort of way, and Pop fed her some thin soup, and in the middle of his doing it she dropped off to sleep. Alice said, Any other time I would be wild to kill another woman that beautiful, but she has been so close to death that I would feel I was robbing another murderer. I suppose there is more behind the change in my feelings than that, though. Yeah, a little, I suppose, Pop said. I didn't have anything to say about my own feelings, certainly not out loud. I knew that they had changed, and that they were still changing. It was complicated. After a while it occurred to me and Alice to worry whether we mightn't catch this woman's sickness. It would serve us right, of course, but plague is plague. But Pop reassured us. Actually, I snagged three cubes, he said. That should take care of you two. I figure I'm immune. Time wore on. Pop dragged out the harmonica, as I'd been afraid he would, but his playing wasn't too bad. Tenting tonight, when Johnny comes marching home and such, we had a meal. The pilot's woman woke up again, in her full mind this time, or something like it. We were clustered around the bed, smiling a little, I suppose, and looking inquiringly. Being even assistant nurses makes you all concerned about the patient's health and state of mind. Pop helped her sit up a little. She looked around. She saw me and Alice. Recognition came into her eyes. She drew away from us with a look of loathing. She didn't say a word, but the look stayed. Pop drew me aside and whispered, I think it would be a nice gesture if you and Alice took a blanket and went up and sewed him into it. I noticed a big needle and some thread in her satchel. He looked me in the eye and added, You can't expect this woman to feel any other way toward you, you know, now or ever. He was right, of course. I gave Alice the high sign, and we got out. No point in dwelling on the next scene. Alice and me sewed up in a blanket a big guy who'd been dead a day and worked over by vultures, that's all. About the time we'd finished, Pop came up. She chased me out, he explained. She's getting dressed. When I told her about the plane, she said she was going back to Los Alamos. She's not fit to travel, of course, but she's given herself injections. It's none of our business. Incidentally, she wants to take the body back with her. I told her how we dropped the serum and how you and Alice had helped, and she listened. The pilot's woman wasn't long after Pop. She must have had trouble getting up the shaft. She had a little trouble even walking straight, but she held her head high. She was wearing a dull silver tunic and sandals and cloak, 
As she passed me and Alice I could see the look of loathing come back into her eyes, and her chin went up a little higher. I thought, why shouldn't she want us dead? Right now she probably wants to be dead herself. Pop nodded to us and we hoisted up the body and followed her. It was almost too heavy a load even for the three of us. As we reached the plane a silver ladder telescoped down to her from below the door. I thought, the pilot must have had a key to her some way, so it would let down for her but nobody else. A very lovely gesture. The ladder went up after her and we managed to lift the body above our heads, our arms straight, and we walked it through the door of the plane that way, she receiving it. The door closed and we stood back and the plane took off into the orange haze, us watching it until it was swallowed. Pop said, Right now I imagine you two feel pretty good, in a screwed up sort of way. I know I do. But take it from me, it won't last. A day or two and we're going to start feeling another way, the old way, if we don't get busy. I knew he was right. You don't shake old urge number one anything like that easy. So, said Pop, I got places I want to show you, guys I want you to meet. And there's things to do, a lot of them. Let's get moving. So there's my story. Alice is still with me. Urge number two is even harder to shake, supposing you wanted to. And we haven't killed anybody lately. Not since the pilot, in fact, but it doesn't do to boast. We're making a stab, my language, at doing the sort of work Pop does in the Deathlands. It's tough, but interesting. I still carry a knife, but I've given mother to Pop. He has it strapped to him alongside Alice's screw-in blade. Altahai and Alamos still seem to be in existence, so I guess the serum worked for them generally as it did for the pilot's woman. They haven't sent us any medals, but they haven't sent a hangman's squad after us either, which is more than fair, you'll admit. But Savannah, turned back from Altahai, is still going strong. There's a rumor they have an army at the gates of Washita right now. We tell Pop he'd better start preaching fast. It's one of our standard jokes. There's also a rumor that a certain fellowship of Deathlanders is doing surprisingly well. A rumor that there's a new America growing in the Deathlands. An America that never need kill again. But don't put too much stock in it. Not too much. End of chapter 6 End of the Night of the Long Knives by Fritz Leiber Recording by Phil Chenevere, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, June 2012